some of the most famous swords today are ones that never existed. King Arthur's Excalibur, Aragorn's Andril, and Luke Skywalker's lightsaber. These swords have kept us on the edge of our seat as we have watched the fight against good and evil. In Hollywood on the big screen or whether we're reading a novel, we love a good fight between good and evil. These swords are legendary, they're powerful, and they're inspirational. And on Good Friday, there's actually another sword that makes up the story of Good Friday. Now, you were given a sword when you came in. I know it doesn't look like mine, but we can have a, um, maybe a Braveheart moment together. So um, together, if you'd like to, um, on the count of three, we'll all say freedom. You ready? Raise your sword. One, two, three. Freedom! All right. Very good. Very good. Well, the sword on Good Friday that we're going to talk about tonight Um, This is a sword that played a role as the events led up to the crucifixion of our Lord. The events that happen, they all seem to kind of fall rapidly upon one another. They're all appalling, they're heartbreaking, they're horrid events that we read about in Scripture as we work our way towards the crucifixion of Christ. Good Friday is just a violent story, and it has a very brutal ending. Now, ironically, on this night of violence, Jesus was someone who had never asked for a military revolt, uh, any kind of political revolt. Um, Jesus never asked for that. But he did come not to pierce the politics of the day, but rather to pierce our own souls, to pierce us with his truth, with his light, with his hope, with his mercy, with a new life. Now, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Scripture tells us this story in Luke twenty-two, forty-five through 53. It says, when Jesus rose from prayer and he went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they soared, Lord, shall we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and he healed him. And then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Now there's another account in John that describes the same story, but gives us a little bit more detail. In John 18.10, we hear that the disciple who actually used his sword was Simon Peter, and that the high servant of the 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 servant of the high priest Caiaphas was named Malchus. Now this was a tense night. I mean, this crowd it was out for blood. Uh, it was a crowd that was carrying swords. They were carrying clubs. Um, they did not expect Jesus to go peacefully. They were ready for a fight. Now, the swords and the clubs that they would have carried were very typical of kind of first century Israel. Uh, it was a, a nation that was under Roman rule with Roman soldiers and Roman swords. 
Now, the sword of Peter is actually so well known that there was a replica that was made, and it's on display at the Arch Cathedral Basilica of St. Peter and St. Paul in Poland. Now, this was made for one of the popes, and it was delivered in Poland in 968. The blade was made from a single piece of iron and was about 28 inches long. Now, maybe you find it strange that Peter was armed that night. I mean, he was ready for a fight. He was ready to go. Now, the swords that you hold today in your hand are not going to help you in much of a battle unless you're up against some olives or some fruit, perhaps. Perhaps the sword, though, was not actually even the deadliest weapon of that night. Perhaps it was the kiss of betrayal. Or perhaps it was the abandonment of the disciples. Maybe it was the lies of the religious leaders, the brutality of the, sto- of the soldiers. Maybe it was the manipulation of Pilate in all of the planning and the plotting. After all, we all carry weapons, weapons of betrayal. We carry weapons of lies. We carry weapons of anger and selfishness of, and blame. At least the weapon that Peter carried that night was one that you could see. Often we carry weapons that we can't see. You hold a sword tonight, and as we talk tonight, you can reflect on your own life and perhaps some of the weapons that you've been carrying around with others and using that to hurt others. Uh, Sometimes we don't even mean to do that intentionally. I don't think Peter was someone who meant uh, anything. uh, He didn't mean to do wrong. He thought he was doing right in what he was doing. Peter's motive was pure. It was to protect his friend. It was to protect Jesus. He wanted to use that sword in defense. You know, you would think that Peter, after all his time with Jesus, he was someone that Peter had called out of the boat. Peter had walked on water. You would have think that Peter would have trusted Jesus to be able to stop the spiraling of the events of that night. But that might have been just the problem because Jesus didn't stop it. Jesus let those events unfold. And Peter thought, you know what, if Jesus isn't going to stop this, maybe I ought to give it a try. I mean, I don't, I don't blame him. I admire his passion. I admire his zeal. I admire that he was really trying to give his own life for his Savior. He was trying to save Jesus. And soon Jesus was going to the cross to save Peter. Peter was brought to the edge of devotion for his Lord, for his friend, for his rabbi. And that real blade that Peter used, wherever it has ended up in history, it found its mark that night. Now, in the crowd that kind of pushed in around the disciples, there was a man named Malchus. And Malchus was a servant of the high priest Caiaphas. Now, Joseph Caiaphas, he was a Roman-appointed Jewish high priest. He was the most powerful Jew in all of the land as high priest. And he had sent Malchus to listen for him. He was to report back to Caiaphas the events that were happening and what happened with Jesus. He was to be the ear of Caiaphas on that tragic night. Now, Caiaphas is the one that had organized the plot to kill Jesus. He sought to establish a charge of blasphemy, and ultimately it was going to be a charge of treason against Jesus that night. And as high priest, Caiaphas was very powerful. Um, He was politically powerful, and he was religiously powerful. He did not like Jesus. He did not like the message of Jesus, and he was out for blood. And so this powerful religious leader was the one that Melchus served. As a servant, Melchus' life was not his own. He did what he was told. He went where he was told to go. And his master was someone who had thrown him in the fray of this evening. 
Now, Malchus, servant of the high priest, is the one that caught Peter's wrath. Peter likely swung at whoever was just closest to him. Peter thrust his sword for a mortal wound, but remember, Peter wasn't a soldier. He was a fisherman, so he missed, but not completely because Malchus' ear was cut off. Don't try this with your swords. It must have happened so quickly that there was little time to think. Um, Peter and Malchus both probably looked at each other with shock, although for different reasons, that there was an ear laying on the ground. I mean, Jesus quickly interceded, and just to lighten the mood, um, Jesus called the five-second rule. Right? (laughs) Jesus had healed so many people. He had healed lepers and he'd restored their skin back to health. He'd healed the blind and given them back their sight. He'd healed the lame and allowed them to walk again. And he'd healed the mute and he'd given them back their voice. And this last miracle of Jesus, he reached out to Malchus and he touched his ear to restore his hearing. Malchus had gone from someone who had been hunting Jesus to someone who has now been healed by Jesus. Peter was the one that had attacked, and he must have stood amazed as Jesus reached out and healed Malchus. I mean, perhaps Peter was even a little annoyed at Jesus. I mean, why did Jesus always do that? Jesus just loved everybody, even his enemies. Peter could not get his head around why Jesus always did that. But you can't heal without compassion. You can't bring restoration without love. So as Malchus touched his ear, that was restored just seconds earlier. It had been laying on the ground. He was faced with a new decision about who he would now listen to, how he would use his newfound healed ears. The man that they had called the ear of Caiaphas was different. He had been touched by the very son of God. He'd been healed by Jesus of Nazareth. The one that he had been sent to condemn had now cured him. Perhaps in these moments that Peter was brought to the edge of the defense of his Lord, Malchus was someone who was able to let his defenses down. And he could now listen to a new master. Instead of Caiaphas, who he'd known as someone who was very corrupt and crafty, he could now listen to Jesus, someone who spoke and acted with compassion. I can only imagine that Malchus now had an ear to hear from God. Now, the events of this night, it took all the people involved to the very edge of themselves. In that sword fight, in the heat of the battle, decisions were made that would impact all of history. Um, Not just that night, but the rest of their days. In that sword fight, there were were jabs of fear and, and of doubt and of indecision and hopelessness from Peter, who would yield Peter's faith defenseless in only hours that would soon follow. Now, Peter defended Jesus with a sword, but a deeper battle was yet to come. The friends of Jesus, his disciples, his inner trusted circle walked on that edge of faith and doubt. In only a few days' time, they went from the exaltation of Palm Sunday and the intimacy of having the Last Supper with Jesus to the chaos of Good Friday. As the disciples abandoned Jesus and watched from a distance his crucifixion, they must have entered into just an unbearable Saturday. What that must have been like for them. 
Jesus had brought each one of them to the edge of a, a new life, a new reality. They had spent three years with Jesus. They were completely new people. They had new purpose. They had new vision for their lives. Perhaps that Saturday, as as darkness covered over the land, the disciples were each brought to the edge of the darkness of their soul with questions, with doubts, and with fear. But isn't our life often brought to such an edge? Don't we move from doubt and hope to dismay to faith? We interact with doubt and faith and hope and dismay, um, sometimes on the same day, often in the same week or at least in the same year. But just as the outcome of a sword fight can quickly alter with changed footing, so too does our lives seem to swing from those brave heart moments of victory to those moments of questions and doubts. Now that sword fight of Peter and Malchus, it showed Jesus to be present even when things are chaotic. On those mountaintop moments when we are very near to Jesus, there's moments of restoration and healing. Jesus is there. But even in the dark nights of our soul, we are never abandoned. Even in the valley, God is there. God did not just leave Jesus on the cross. I believe that God mourned deeply for his son when he was crucified. But God could also look towards Sunday. Now we too, in the midst of questions and doubts and fears, we must continue to push ahead through those and continue to fight our battles, looking for that moment where Jesus will intercede because God is with us. God loves us. God died for us. I mean, there's times that we may feel forsaken. We may feel that we've been abandoned by God. But that feeling does not define God's reality because God is always with us in the battle. God speaks to us and God loves us. Whether we are strong in our faith like Peter, ready to defend our Lord, or whether we have doubts like Malchus did. Jesus may not have been the one that was holding a sword that night, but he had a powerful way of cutting out the hate in Peter. And he had a powerful way of cutting out the pain in Malchus. Jesus replaced it with love. Perhaps there's something that maybe you feel like you need Jesus to cut out of your life tonight because it is truly by his wounds that we are healed. Jesus called Peter to lay down his sword on Good Friday. Now today, you have also been given a sword as you came in tonight. So we're going to enter into a time of communion together. And if it would be meaningful to you, I want to invite you to come forward and and bring your sword and to lay it down at the cross as you get ready to take the bread and the cup. Now, each of us wields a sword, uh, maybe not a weapon like Peter actually had, but we still have the ability to inflict wounds. We do that with our words, with our actions. We do that with lies. We do that with addictions. We do that with our own selfishness. We do that with our fears. So I'm going to invite the worship team to get ready to come back up uh, this evening. And I want to ask you, what is it in your life that you need to leave with Jesus as he gets ready to head to the cross? The Bible tells us that Jesus takes our sin and he throws it as far as the east is from the west. And he remembers it no more. 
It's like if we went up to God and we said, do you remember that thing that I did? I'm so sorry about that. God says, no. You know what? I distinctly remember forgetting that when I forgave you. It doesn't exist anymore. It's not there. So tonight I want to invite you to come forward. We've got three stations here set up, and we're in no hurry, so you can just kind of take your time with that as you feel led to come forward, and you'll be able to um, set down your sword and take the bread and the cup and just go back and take that at your own seat when you're ready. If you don't want to come forward, that's no problem. Just raise your hand, and one of our deacons is going to be out, and they can uh, bring the elements to you, and they would be very happy to do that. But as we take the bread tonight, we are reminded that Jesus went to the cross and he gave his very life for us, that that is his body that was given for us. And then as we take the cup, we do that remembering that that is the blood of Jesus that was poured out on our behalf. And he did that so that we could receive grace, that we would be under a new covenant of grace, that we could live our lives in grace and we could expect his return. So as we get ready to uh, kind of yield our swords at the foot of the cross and take communion, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Um, God, um, I just thank you that you sent your son Jesus. I thank you that Jesus is so filled with a love like no other that he could stop and he could heal a man's ear on his way to a horrific trial and extreme torture on the cross that he was going to die for us. Who has that much compassion? Who loves so completely? On Good Friday, God, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. And we thank you for a time that we can enter into remembering that gift. We can remember that sacrifice as we take the bread and we take the cup and remember that Jesus brought us right to the very edge of love.